processing CompuBot says You're listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast Where you send us your most sinister movie dares And we suffer the consequences For your sick and twisted amusement I'm Corky McDonald I'm a fan of lumber byproducts <laughs> Lumber and its profitable byproducts Lumber and its profitable byproducts Come And with on. me as always is Daniel Barnes The film critic for the Sacramento News and Review And a member of the San Francisco Film Critics Circle You know Corky They went to the trouble to almost write this movie <laughs> You should go to the trouble of almost getting it right <laughs> Hi everyone As Corky said On this show we do your dirty work By watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine Like this one mm. And then we review and rate them on our unique system A run of the mill bad film We rate a dare Double dare goes to those truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare for those despised movies that are actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we'll be reviewing Alan Arkish's 1981 disaster, Heartbeeps, starring Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters as malfunctioning robots in love. But before we get started, Daniel also writes a craft beer column for the Sacramento Bee, so he's going to tell us about the beer he didn't bring, but he bought today yeah that's because we're doing today's episode live from sac city brews in tahoe park in tahoe park neighborhood of sacramento so thanks a lot to the owners of sac city brews for having us and for letting us record our show here and if you hear people talking or laughing or setting down glasses in the background then that's why really sec- check out sac city brews uh tap house fantastic neighborhood i mean it's a real true neighborhood spot absolutely i'm sitting nestled r- in surrounded tahoe by residential park. area having brunch and beers on a sunday morning it's yeah. beautiful the beer I'm drinking, I got a Melvin Your IPA. It's by Melvin Brewing from Alpine, Wyoming. It's 7.1% total West Coast style IPA, kind of amberish color, classic in your face, resinous pine notes, big citrus on the back end. So if you like your big, dank West Coast IPAs, uh, Melvin Your IPA is a good one. So today's dare came to us from Dan Scott. Dan Scott, who also provided us with Can't Stop the Music there. Right, and who also... This guy uh, is insatiable. <laughs> who also has made a mortal enemy of me right Mortal now. enemy, right? We're going to have to have a hall of shame uh, for like repeat offenders, five-timers club or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Exactly. He dared us heartbeeps, 1981. He says, I have a fondness for incredibly talented people doing incredibly bad films. Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters play robots who fall in love, and boy, do they. It's directed by Alan Arkush, best known for his work for Roger Corman, who especially rock and roll high school. Classic film. But Heartbeeps, not a classic film. No. Was made in a genre and on a scale totally unfamiliar to Arkush, and it certainly shows. Yeah, and when the horrified studio executives saw his original cut, they freaked out. They carved the movie down to a lean 78 minutes. That was the one saving grace of this That's movie. including credits. Dumped it into 500 theaters on December 18, 1981. The film was uh, lambasted by critics. I I guess I, in honor of the movie, I guess I should just be making robot puns this entire time, right? (laughs) Give it a shot. The film was disassembled by critics. Gary Arnold Arnold of the Washington Post said, does not increase efficiency. He (laughs) called it an indigestible lump of holiday whimsy, while Vincent Canby of the New York Times labeled it dreadfully coy the film also performed poorly at the box office it only grossed one-fifth of its original budget interesting bit of trivia that it was oscar nominated for best makeup yeah which we'll get to how horrifyingly bad and disturbing to look at the makeup in this movie is but it lost uh, thank god 
This is the inaugural year of the category. Can you imagine if Heartbeeps won? They never would add that a word again. Um, it lost to literally one of the greatest makeup jobs in cinema history in American Werewolf in London. Yeah. For his part, Andy famously apologized for the film on The Late Show with David Letterman when he was on NBC and offered a refund to anyone who bought a ticket. <laughs> Corky. I found this little interesting bit of trivia on Wikipedia, so I'm going to trust it 100%. Absolutely, Uh, as you should. And the source is actually Bob Zamuda, who I think, again, we can implicitly trust, right? uh, Never known for not being honest. Not a guy who would fuck with you just to fuck with you, right? Regular guy. Yeah. He and Andy pitched the screenplay of the Tony Clifton story, (laughs) (laughs) a biopic of his alter ego, Tony Clifton. Pitched that to Universal. They kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit and said that, you know, since Andy hadn't really appeared in movies before, let's put him in something that's a little more kind of mainstream and accessible. And so that became Heartbeeps. And because the movie was a total disaster, plans for any Tony Clifton movie were scrapped. Now, Corky... I hated this movie. You hated this movie. Everybody in the world hated this movie. Every person with a functioning pleasure center hates this movie. <laughs> but kind of taking us to the alternate universe, would it have all been worth it to get a Tony Clifton biopic? Or was this movie so bad that you feel they probably would have effed that one up too? All right. So here's where I reveal, I don't really care for Andy Kaufman that much. You're not an Andy Kaufman fan. I'm, I'm not a fan of, I mean, I like the Latka and Foreign Man, but I was four. You know what I mean? So that just crack me up here to a guy talk like that i'm not a fan of all the hijinks and all the uh, bending reality really of, yeah I, get, I mean i'm a huge fan uh, i'm not huge fan and of that of that specifically of the sort of meta comedy that he's kind of known for. i'm not a fan of that that confrontational you don't know that you're part of the joke and it's, sure. it's all a joke so i think any movie with andy kaufman or with bob zamuda is gonna be terrible anyway because they can't help themselves but do that okay like, that would be their best joke in the world is to tank $50 million movie or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, that would be funny to them, too. Absolutely. And that's it. Totally. So, so we were doing this movie. I went ahead and watched the trailer for it. Oh, which oh boy. I'm never doing that again, because I was petrified to watch this movie. <laughs> I can imagine. I'm never doing that again. But I also looked at a couple interviews with people about uh-huh. Andy Kaufman. It was all taxi people. Sure. Tony Danza, Judd Hirsch, Mary Lou Henner, Danny DeVito. Uh-huh. They all told the same exact story <laughs> of when Andy insisted on getting Tony Clifton hired on Taxi <laughs> right. to play a character, and it was a clusterfuck. Absolutely. He got fired the second day. And he made a big. The fact that everybody only had the one positive story to tell about him, and it was just this bad. That wasn't really a positive story. No, exactly. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was just like a great joke that just went haywire. Well, I should say I I love Andy Kaufman. Gotcha. I love that kind of style of meta comedy. I love the anti humor of it. I think he's one of those people who his his influence is almost greater than what he actually accomplished. You know, he obviously died fairly young, movie wise. He did not do very much. This is actually like his one feature film starring role. You know, yes. he's much more known as a TV or live performance guy and it's awful and and there's really nothing like andy kaufman-esque about it either except for that he does the latka voice as a robot right and his movements and his acting style is all the foreign man character it it basically is which is funny because as i was again i was reading on imdb uh trivia which again i think we can trust 100 percent implicitly he apparently said that his the voice was a combination of elmer fudd and bugs bunny (laughs) which is like it's more of a combination of latka from latka Taxi and Latka from Taxi. <laughs> it's just that. Um, um, yeah. But I think the most important thing to establish right up from the front is just how horrifying everything looks. And this was a movie that supposedly was intended for children, and everything in it, makeup, 
cinematography, set design, sound effects, everything is like nauseating and horrifying and nightmarish from the from the word go. Yes, absolutely. I have that thing where like if I look at things with a lot of holes in it. It kind of sends my brain into a tizzy. Kind of, I don't know what it's called. I get that from watching this movie. Oh, absolutely! When that yeah. happens, it it's sends me on this upsetting to look at. It, there are shots that are out of focus, oh, like right? half the like half out of like some like something was on the lens and they couldn't. We didn't have the money to wipe the lens or something. It kind of feels like Arkish wanted to make a slightly more subversive and possibly even meditative movie about like AI sure. and about like dehumanization of society. And the studio said, "No, we just want you to make a." fun movie for families that's about goofy robots. We're going to push it for Christmas. And he was equipped to make neither of those films. <laughs> so, let's start from there. At Heartbeats. Buckle the hell in. So, first words in the film. My name is Crime Buster. Yeah, it doesn't open with any kind of logo or anything like that. We just open right on... It looks like an AMC Dalek. You uh-huh. know, it looks like AMC Motors made a Dalek. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's got the it's eagle a, body with gun turrets. Yeah, it's a very angular-looking vehicle that has a robot voice. It's basically doing John C. Riley and Magnolia. It's just riding <laughs> through the forest narrating itself, right? <laughs> it's going around like, it actually says, I draw my pay, I do my job, and it just is blowing up things in the forest. It and smells of skunk. This is when I knew we were in for a really bad thing, because it says... I, I protect and serve on land, sea, and air. When it says land, sea, and air, it cuts to it uh, ostensibly doing that. <laughs> but it's all close-up shots, so you yeah, can't really right. see it you doing see anything. It's actually and it's, in the air. You can tell that it's cuts from other scenes in the movie, too. So I'm like, oh, we're on Ed Wood level here. Oh, now. yeah. This no. is what we're doing. This is super brutal. So then we get to the factory, where literally the, n- the entire first act of this movie takes place. On a shelf. It's in a factory warehouse. So we get to the factory where there's a few human workers, a couple of them that we follow, played by Randy Quaid and Kenneth McMillan. I should say this movie is loaded with great character actors. Yeah. Loaded. And a lot of them have the Roger Corman association, which we'll get to eventually. Yeah. So Andy Kaufman, who is in this robot makeup, I mean, can you describe that? He basically looks like he has been lacquered he, over his entire body, clothes included. He, I kept thinking this was like Abraham Lincoln coming off a penny in real life because <laughs> he looks like copper with just like gouge lines down his so face. So it's like great moments with Mr. Lincoln at Disneyland was like, instead of the real Mr. Lincoln, let's just do Penny Lincoln. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you just see the left side just of bronze. <laughs> it's his profile. All the children are very, very disturbed. Bernadette it, Peters does it kind of a good robotic movement. He just does his latka movement. Yeah, yeah. He's very stiff. He has like a pinstripe suit and a bow tie as well. Yeah. And we kind of learn that he's been brought in for repairs. He's he's a robot. He's a com series, which is a companion, uh, and his name is Val, which is short for valet. Yeah. And his specialty is lumber. Stock commodities, uh, specifically lumber and its profitable byproducts. What? What? I don't know. I don't see. Like this is the. I don't. Are these supposed to be jokes? I, yes, that's just it. There's like the sense of humor in this movie is absolute. Is just atrocious. It's you're, atrocious. You're making a movie and you haven't like, even got to the comedian robot yet. Oh my god! You're making a movie and you're writing these like jokes that are the payoff to one long scene. So it's like the whole scene is predicated on this joke paying off, but you're doing it as a robot. And he's speaking in this funny voice, and we don't know, because he's not acting any different, so we don't know that it's a joke. Right. So it's like it's watching a movie in a different language with a comedy style that hasn't been around for (laughs) decades, made by people who've never made a movie before. Yeah. 
That's what it feels like. Talking about the makeup, it is very troubling to look at his face. Yes. He has all these like lines on his face that you feel are supposed to be like the metal that is making him up, rivets and, and things like that. It looks as though his face has been slashed <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> or the, like the Punisher took his face and shoved it into like Jigsaw. broken glass and shit. <laughs> like he looks so awful. Like it's it's upsetting when you you don't want to look at the face of the protagonist in the movie, and it's not like you're not supposed to not look at his face. He's not like man without a face, where you're kind of <laughs> supposed to be horrified. Like he's this is just, a kids movie. It's a movie for children. He look his face looks like something that the NCIS detectives would be looking at a crime scene photo. <laughs> oh, dude, this sick guy did this again. The <laughs> copper killer. So we learn that he's been taken in for repairs. Yeah. Because he's been misused by the, the humans. And we're also kind of seeing that there's robots everywhere, right? He's he him and Bernadette Peters are very humanoid, but we also see that there's like a robot sweeping the floor. There's a robot without a face that is like driving the truck that the Randy Quaid and Kenneth McMillan are, are uh, bringing Andy Kaufman in on. But he gets put on the shelf, and right next to him on the shelf is Bernadette Peters as Aqua. And they kind of sort of tentatively look at each other and start talking to each other while they're on the shelf. In very mannered robot. Very mannered robot ways. Jeff's, Jeff Bridges and Starman head movements <laughs> looking at each other. We get this like the sound opening credits sequence Okay, where okay. we kind of have close-ups of like their lips and eyes. Their Freeze frame parts. credits are always oh, a big boy, thing. Yeah, right. Cursive font for the, the credits. <laughs> Bold choice. Super classy. Bold choice for so a classy. robot movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> But then it's intercut with them not freeze framed, so then they're kind of wavering. <laughs> and Bernadette Peters is trying to hold her eyes. Yeah, it's the, just... the makeup looks super, super uncomfortable. Yeah, like her face looks completely immobile. What's kind of shocking is that the makeup is by legendary Hollywood makeup artist Stan Winston, who Oscar nominated. Li- literally one of the greatest makeup artists. Uh, yeah, an Oscar. I mean, that was a reputation nomination of anything, right? But. One of the great makeup artists of all time, like literally one of the all-time greats. And oh my God, does it look absolutely disturbing. What's also kind of amazing, of just the talented people involved with this movie, the score, John Williams. Yes, John Williams. John Williams. The most inappropriate score <laughs> It's throughout. so inappropriate. Just, uh. At first, it, it is like when you fir- the movie first starts with Crime Buster, there's just like bleep, blop, bloop, blop, bloop. And I was like, oh yeah, here we go. And then all of a sudden, it just starts with like the classic Williams strings and bells and shit. And I was like, oh my God, it's John Williams. What a waste, right? <laughs> so we've talked more about talking about the movie than because that's because nothing happens. They well, stay to be on fair, one quarter of the film takes place on a shelf. They stand on this shelf watching sunsets. <laughs> Aqua is a companion robot built for pool parties. Right? <laughs> He's so a you companion. can talk about banana daiquiris. <laughs> that's how specified these things are. <laughs> is she in a bathing suit? Oh, God, no. She's in a corset with a long dress. Yeah, and like a big beehive hairdo as well. So they watch a sunset. She has to explain to Val what a sunset is. And I guess there's supposed to be chemistry between them. And then after she explains what a what a sunset is, and he tells her that that's illogical to talk about a sunset, there's this real matte painting shot of lightning that happens in the valley. <laughs> Rain hits. And then a rainbow happens. Yeah. And she has to wonder, what's that? <laughs> right, like, you got the sunset right, honey. You don't know about rainbows? <laughs> He's been brought in for repairs because he was misused for physical labor, and he's, his specialty is lumber and its profitable byproducts. It is not clear why she's there. She seems to be functioning absolutely perfectly. Her whole thing is being charming and talking about banana daiquiris, and all she does is be charming and talk about banana daiquiris. But they also bring in a third robot. Yeah. His name is Catskill. Corky, tell us about Catskill. Catskill is a borscht belt. <laughs> 
comic robot who's always sitting on this moving trunk. (laughs) Sitting on a trunk. That's how he moves. His legs, though, anytime he starts a joke, he will cross and uncross his legs basic instinct style, (laughs) which is (laughs) as upsetting as anything in this film. I don't want to say more upsetting because there's a lot of competition. I did appreciate, though, the cut to Wayne Knight (laughs) leering in, trying to get a peek as he crosses and uncrosses his legs. Like and Dan says when he crosses his legs before he does the wind up for the joke, everything has a sound to it. So you hear like a crank. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of comic noises in this movie. Anytime she blinks your eyes, it's like ding 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 ding. So, but the jokes are labored. His he's supposed to be a bad. He, he's comedian. like bald. His eyebrows are constantly his, moving up and the down. The most upsetting thing was his hair and his hair. Yeah, it oh, was like, and he smokes a cigar. He smokes a robot cigar, but every time he brings it to his mouth, smoke comes out into yeah. people's faces. His hair looked like a fifth grader's science project who waited to the last minute and just stuck Brillo pad <laughs> on the sides and Oscar nominated. Yeah. He is a nonstop string of one-liners, That's and I didn't does. write any of them down because no. they were all like really, really bad. And the only one I remember was the one about the weasel, where it's yeah. like, "Did you hear about the guy who got killed by a weasel?" Uh, and the punchline is, "He got hit by a train because he didn't hear the weasel." But Dan told that joke in like <laughs> an eighth of the time it took him <laughs> to tell that joke. His jokes and the setups. Well, are, it's all about the timing, Corky. Uh, <laughs> That's why everyone thought that was so hilarious. <laughs> So he's now on the shelf with them, and yeah. there's and they say all he can do is tell dumb jokes. This is what like we're equating Kenneth McMillan and bring him in. They're like all he can do is tell these dumb jokes, and that's why he's being brought in for repair. What the f- like? What was he created for in the first place to tell dumb jokes? That's literally his he's, only function because he's nailing that. <laughs> no, he's doing it right. Like that's his only function. And this is how inept this movie is. There's a bit where Val and Aqua have a moment where they are going to touch hands, and they kind of robot move next to each other to touch hands. They show the hands getting closer, and then it edits the part where they actually touch hands. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they just jump cut to them touching hands. Uh-huh. That's how inept it's everything just, is right? in this movie. Like they were just like, cut three seconds out of this scene. <laughs> <laughs> like, cut it down. Val says that he wants to take Aqua outside to, quote, study trees. Because, again, his specialty is lumber and its profitable byproducts. Which, man, that is a good line. That is a good line. And she falls for it. And she's like, let's go outside to study trees. This so, has been 18, I count no, it, we're 18 a quarter of the way through the film. Of them standing on the shelf. Oh, yeah. So they steal a van. They sneak by. Uh, we get a, a one brief scene with that guy, Dick Miller. Totally, he's playing Mr. Futter from the Gremlins. <laughs> yeah, he's playing Dick Miller. And again, how inept this movie is, because they're playing cards. Dick Miller and Charlie and Max, who are Kenneth McMillan and Randy Quaid, are playing cards. About four minutes later, you have a scene where he's introducing himself for the night, getting onto his shift. <laughs> like they just like... They threw it Does it matter that this is out of order? Yeah, screw it. So they, yeah, they steal a van. Val's a bad driver. That leads to some hilarious slapstick of him crashing the van into things. Here at the the factory, they, he the boss tells Randy. Is, is this the boss? Is just a guy in a suit? It's just the guy in a suit. We assume he's the boss. He runs in and he yells to uh, Randy Quaid and Kenneth McMillan that they've gone. And Crime Buster overhears it. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen them like trying to test Crime Buster earlier and he's malfunctioning constantly. But Crime Buster overhears this and thinks that he's on the case. And so he breaks out of the warehouse as well. So now... The three robots, because Catskill came along for the ride with Val and Aqua, they're running out into the woods, and Crime Buster is on the chase. So and this then, is the, like that basically sums up the rest of the movie. <laughs> this, yeah, that's the whole rest of the movie. It's it's moving throughout the woods. So th- this movie and again, not really moving very fast no, throughout the woods, God, moving no. very slowly through the woods. A lot of big 
crane shots of them walking slowly. Ooh, boy. But anything close up on them in a car that's supposed to be moving, it's two actors sitting in a car that's just rocking because yeah. they're, they're trying to make it look like movement. Exactly. And they're jamming the wheel back and forth like you never do when you drive. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a scene of a truck drives by. You don't get a close up of anything. Just a truck drives by. But the, the sound, the ADR is of Charles and Max saying, there they are. Go get them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very efficient cinema. So the van breaks down in the in the woods. The comedian tells a bunch of jokes. They decide that they they can't carry all their stuff that they need, so they create a baby robot. Yeah, and that's honestly the reason most people actually have children is just to carry their stuff, right? Like this is the one thing the movie nails. Well, that's why my my kids are pack mule and dromedary. <laughs> Absolutely. So they create a little baby robot. It, he kind of looks like a sort of mini Johnny Five, but with like digital eyes. Yeah, I, this is supposed to be R two D two because he just makes clicks and whirs while he they just get goes, to talk. Boop, 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 yeah. And he rolls his little digital green eyes. He's the comic relief that Catskill's supposed to supply, but doesn't. He supplies that. It's supposed to. This is all supposed to. Yeah. None, none of this pays off. No, it's mostly just wandering but, in the woods so and, and basically is- substituting a robot word. For a person word. So like someone will say, a thought just crossed my circuits, or you stole the words right from my speaker. But they don't even, see, they don't stick to it. Like, because sometimes, no. it, like, data centers do not process, yeah. right? No contractions. They they say, do not, not don't. Other times they're like, I think I can do this. <laughs> you're, oh, you're thinking now, robot? Is that what, you, I thought your data processors wouldn't allow you to do that. Yeah. It, it They don't stick to their own inherent logic. Yeah. But the basic concept of the film is that they're like a couple, That's and they're having is. a baby, and Catskill's like the grandpa, and they're forming this family. It's hilarious. For the first 18 minutes of this movie, nothing happens. No. And for the rest of the movie, nothing still happens, yeah. but now they're, every scene is just, oh, they're a family. Yeah. This is where we find they've called in the specialty robot finder, Babe Ultra. She's a helicopter. Babe, is it Ultra? I thought it was Aldrin. Is was it, it Aldrin? Ultra? I uh, thought it was Ultra. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Come on. <laughs> Are we quibbling on that part? So they're they're in a helicopter and they're the three uh, her with Kenneth McMillan and Randy Quaid, they're trying to find the robots. The robots lose the baby in the woods and then they find it and they're bickering. They decide that they need to enter a cave to protect themselves as it's going to get dark. Yeah. So they hear growls from, coming from the cave. And Andy Kaufman decides it is my function to protect this family, so I'm going to go in there. And he gets thrown out of the cave with a literal (laughs) sound. (laughs) It's played, though, like a traumatic, oh, my God, he could die. Right. Slow motion. Slow motion. It's totally Peckinpah style. But it's like, (laughs) so he gets thrown out, and the bear comes out, and bear is, like, about to kill them all. But hold on. Phil. He is such a lumber aficionado or expert. What kind of animal is that? Oh, that's a camel. My processors say that's a camel. <laughs> a camel? Yes. <laughs> that's the level of humor. That's the humor, right? Is a bear is a camel, right? That's like something two-year-olds would find funny. So yeah, there's a, a lot of really painful slapstick. There's a lot of really painful non-word play. Phil kind of, sort of, one of the many traumatic scenes in this movie where the little baby robot Phil decides he's going to take on the bear. Yeah. He's going at it. The bear is about to kill him. The music is crescendoing. Everyone's screaming. And then the copter comes in, scares away the bear who runs away in like Benny Hill style fast motion. Yes. And at that point, there's the line, I think it's by Bernadette Peter, who's, who says, for all of us to stay together has become very important, right? So they're forming this 
this bond together of, of not just like what is our function, but they're they're caring for each other. This is where my notes stopped being things from the movie, and it's just I don't know why. What the fuck? Why is this? Yeah, John Williams over robots talking about God. Yeah, so much John Williams, super heavy John Williams. I mean, honestly, his score is the only thing about this movie that is worth saving from the trash heap. But at the same time, it's like it's so incongruous; it just doesn't work at all. And this is the point of the movie where you can kind of see the studio executives who cut this movie to seventy-eight minutes were like, "We're into Crime Buster, and <laughs> we're into." Oh, yeah. We're into Catskill, the comedian, telling jokes to the little kid and the little kid making robot laughs. Because every scene, a brief scene, and then it cuts back to Crime Buster, Crime Buster. and Catskill telling jokes to the kid. That, the, the, and it just goes back to those things constantly, constantly, constantly. They don't go two scenes without cutting back to Crime Buster. No, it's just never. A, it's, a, it's a robot driving and then some 80-yard, my mission is to protect and serve. Yeah. He sings America the Beautiful while blowing up the woods. I know. Satire. <laughs> but it's... And when I say blowing up the woods, you see a robot moving, some puff of smoke come out of a robot. And, and then, then an explosion. But the back end of an explosion, yeah, right. just the smoke <laughs> rising up from the explosion. Anytime that there's supposed to be some kind of action scene, like at the beginning when Crime Buster shoots a, a stump that doesn't move, that's a joke. When they go into the cave, it's the woods, the Colorado wilderness, and then this big paper machine paper mache polystyrene <laughs> rock looking thing that looks like Andy Kaufman's face, yeah. just supposed to be rocks. And I'm like, I wonder if that's part of the movie. I wonder if that's not real there, yeah. you know? We now get to the very troubling scene where Bernadette Peters, so oh, they've yeah. they've kind of camped up for the night. Well, first it's a little troubling because the Catskill is telling all these jokes to the kid and then sings him a love song. <laughs> and it kind of ends on sort of an ambivalent note. And then we cut to kind of in, in the cave, I, I'm assuming, uh, we see Val and Aqua and she asks him to fix her pleasure center. And he says, well, I might need to have my pleasure center fixed too. And then we're getting to this like very intimate scene together that just brief, like just before it's getting to sex is no, interrupted. No, by, that was sex. That's the thing. That was sex. Yeah. They were getting, there was their version of sex. It was, but it was interrupted. It, it was sort of coitus interruptus by Catskill and uh, Phil who both are kind of like, right? (laughs) So here's the thing is like this movie apparently started out because studio executives were like, children love C-3PO and R2-D2, right? We need to make a movie about robots. And it's like, what were these kids doing with their C-3PO and R2-D2 dolls that made them think we should have a sex scene between Val and Aqua, right? Like what was happening? What was going on? Oh my God. Oddly though, that sex scene between Val and Aqua. It's pretty hot, right? Less robotic than <laughs> Dakota Johnson and Christian Grey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. They Next, we see them disguising themselves as trees. They're just kind of holding trees up in front of themselves because they're, they're... You've got to understand, this movie, It was the first part of it was them standing on a shelf. The next bits is just them walking in the walking woods. Walking in the woods. Now we're walking into a city because they've got to get more parts. Where there are no people. Yeah, it's an Zero, empty Colorado. It's a totally empty set. Yeah, of it's a city, right? Yeah. So they're walking in, disguising themselves as trees. They go into this kind but, of department store. But I'm, this I'm was, assuming to get parts. This was the one bit that I was like, that's a funny bit, was when they were held up the trees in front of them. Okay, but we'll get to how unfunny it gets. It, it, exactly. They, they even killed <laughs> the joy <laughs> the of one this. Little bit you like. They think that they can just put trees in front of themselves and walk around, and that looks and natural like, yeah, to humans. we're disguising ourselves. That was funny, because they didn't call it out. Yeah, yeah. They walk out of the store. Crime Buster has cornered them. They tell the Crime Buster that they are bush bots. 
And this goes to a very labored scene where he questions them about being bushbots. This scene takes 175 Holy days. Holy th- moly. So once again, and Andy... I keep wanting to call him Andy Milanakis. <laughs> Andy Milanakis would have been better in this movie. So once again, Val, Andy Kaufman, is a compubot, a combot, whose specialty is lumber and its profitable by- byproducts. <laughs> yes. Cannot get that out. Lumber and its profitable byproducts. His great idea is to tell Crime Buster... We are Bushbots. We are Bushbots. That's I'm the Bushbot 0C123 or whatever, yeah. No wonder he's going back to the factory. Know, right, like back to the factory. He looks at like a, a Douglas fir. That's a Bushbot. Looks at a Sequoia. That's a Bushbot. Bushbot. <laughs> so, so they confuse... He delivers some kind of irrefutable Asimovian robot logic where oh, yeah. that, uh, robots can't be criminal. They can't be criminals because they're robots and robots can't be criminals. And it all gets played up like robots. And it blows Crime Buster's mind and then they run off and they're able to escape Crime Buster. In a movie of ineffectual, incomprehensible, s- this was the worst. It, it was so irritating. It just, so irritating. It tried to do it by like interspersing fast cuts editing and, and overdubbing different and, lines, mm. speeding those up. And it just, I wanted to throw things. It was things. disturbing. It was disturbing. So right after escaping Crime Buster, they come upon a party with robot servants, which is great because, uh, of course, Aqua is programmed for pool parties. So it's this perfect pool party. <laughs> we get a, a, a moment where Phil, the, the little robot, looks up a girl's skirt. Yeah, a very, very children's movie shot of a <laughs> very ab- ass. Very upsetting. Crime Buster pursues them to the party and basically tears through the party. They, uh, the robots are able to run away, Val and Aqua and everyone yeah and there's a scene at this party where i now i'm just like studying like what were they thinking at this <laughs> on set you know just couldn't imagine being on set going yep that's the one got it guys don't you know what right i don't need to do that again yeah like let's move on and yes. like save this one for posterity we're building something here people. <laughs> more like that so amongst the guests of this party are a couple more familiar faces we see paul bartell and mary warrenov who have often play a couple in movies together and again the connective tissue here is all roger corman right like that both of those them appeared in Roger Corman films a lot. Alan Arkish, uh, Dick Miller, all of these character actors and stuff. So then again, the movie's loaded with character actors. And I will say the one, the, probably the one time that I actually laughed in this movie in a good way. Yeah. Was this, the scene where they're kind of in the aftermath of Crime Buster having torn through the party and Mary Warrenov and Paul Bartell are kind of wandering around with their robot servants. And Paul Bartell says, well, I thought it was a stunning affair. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that's good. That's a good bit. He's working it. He's he absolutely was, working he it, right? Working always it. bringing it. He's just one of those guys who's always He's a party guest in movies in the yeah. early 80s. Upper crust party guest. Yeah. Yeah. They escape the party. There's more wandering in the woods. There's more bickering in the woods. Um, Randy Quaid and Kenneth McMillan drink a bag of beer. They drink a Coors bag of beer. That's that's the thing. And then finally we get to the junkyard. And at the junkyard are... So this is like their blue heaven. This is the junkyard. So they've got their family. They've been wandering. They're kind they, of... They're they running low f- on energy. They had a fight after the party. Yeah, exactly. So we, we've all the like domestic right. scenes with this robot. That's that's all this movie is. is yeah. These walks through the woods are domestic scenes. There's a fight. There's romance. There's raising a kid. There's uh, taking on a family member, which is Catskills. Now we're at, like, this is like a couple buying their house for their family for the future forever. They, they find the junkyard. Right. And they're all kind of running low on power, too, which is kind of an important thing to note. More bad jokes. Phil torments a raccoon, kind of like a serial killer would. 
Um, then he sees a dead robot and oh, freaks out. This was my. One. I wish also notice this is where we get introduced to Christopher Guest and Melanie Mayron, who, yes. who are playing these kind of nerdy scientists who live in the junkyard. Yeah, Calvin and Susan. Calvin and Susan, who apparently are named after Susan Calvin, who is a character from Isaac Asimov stories. And guess what? Who gives a shit? <laughs> Nobody does not who watched this movie cared does about not that. mean a goddamn thing. <laughs> does not mean a goddamn thing. Uh, so anyway. So that was my one belly laugh from this movie. This was my can't stop the music. Hands up, shithead. This was my in. I could not stifle it. It's when Phil's just trumbling along the junkyard and finds a dead robot. Right. And it's supposed to be traumatic to the child because yeah. it's just a, a half a robot laying there and it focuses on the <laughs> robot's eyeballs. <laughs> and then he turns around and he starts screaming. That's it. That's all that scene is. There's no, they don't talk to the kid about death or anything. There's no big. It's just one of the like seven or eight times in this movie where they lose their baby. I could not stop laughing at that traumatic <laughs> a baby finds a dead it's body. Like baby discovers death. It's like oh, stand by me all by myself. More, more hijinks. More yoing. <laughs> I will say though, the reaction shots at the party, if you if you do if you are torturous enough to go watch this movie <laughs> when crime buster busts down that party goes through the wall watch the reaction <laughs> shots they are amazing how so they like there's one guy dressed in very new wave gear uh-huh. you know from from 1980s and he does you're not gonna it's not gonna translate on a podcast but he does a face where he just stops everything puts his hands out flat. he does a little thriller kind of thing yes. <laughs> yeah right he does Thriller, thriller, and he does it and holds, and it's like the the film they could freeze frame on you, dude, if they wanted you to hold, but he holds. Everybody else is moving around. Oh, it's amazing. Oh man! So Crime Buster follows them to the junkyard. He does the we have a failure to communicate line from Cool Hand Luke because uh, that's comedy in this movie. He's shooting and flame throwing everything, and then Susan and Calvin leap on top of him and are able to disable all of his circuitry. Um, but this really disturbs Val and Aqua, who decide that, you know, Phil is now in danger. So they need to go back to the factory to go upgrade Phil, because this is their whole thing, right? But they leave the, they leave the junkyard fairly low on energy, and Susan and Calvin are watch, watching them leave. And they're kind of like, oh, man, do, do you think they'll be able to make it back? And they're like, oh, man, yeah, I hope so. And it's like, you can't charge a battery? Yeah, right. You're the techno- you just disabled the most technologically advanced robot in the world, and you can't charge their battery. They're just looking at them like, well, I hope they make it. Like, we're totally helpless in this. <laughs> and remember this for later, be where this comes back to. So Susan and Calvin watch them walk off, and instantly they're all kind of running out of, out of energy, right? There's a tender, quote-unquote, tender conversation between Val and Phil. Phil, it looks like, is going to run out of power first, and then who jumps in and saves the day? Our old buddy Catskill. The Borscht Belt comic. Catskill sacrifices his life to save little Phil, the guy who has been a nonstop stream of punchlines. The guy who roasted that whole party. Seriously. Martyrs himself. He's shown no emotion for anyone at any point, right? He becomes Saint Shecky of the upper New York comic And then they find out, they study his circuitry, and they find out he has been selecting low-power jokes, which I love because they like... 
let's write the humorlessness of this movie into the movie. (laughs) Let's just explain it. Let's make that canon. The way the movie treats Catskill's sense of humor is how this movie's sense of humor is. It's just, it's outdated. It It is. I can't stress enough, they played this whole scene for this one line payoff that is delivered by a robot so it's emotionless, devoid, and it's like, you can't, you have to figure out, is that the joke? Or is it the way he's delivering it? Or what? Is the joke. The actual really good joke that was in this movie, Kenneth McMillan and Randy Quaid are now back out looking for the robots again because the robots are now headed back to the factory. They're going back to the factory. It's important to remember here. (laughs) Randy Quaid swears he sees them and Kenneth McMillan derisively calls Randy Quaid college boy. That's the (laughs) best joke in this movie. (laughs) Randy Quaid was once cast to be the college-educated person in the movie. Oh, you think you see things? Oh, you and your college boy eyes. <laughs> you oh, want, you and your college boy object permanence. You want a snobby intellectual? You cast Randy Quaid. If you hold your hand behind your back, I think you lost your hand, college boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Catskill is the first to die. He's just kind of tossed unceremoniously into the back of the truck by uh, Kenneth McMillan and Randy Quaid. While there is ADR saying, Take it easy. They're expensive robots. They're just dumping them. They just dump them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so now both of them are running out of power. She runs out first. He kind of, there's just, it gets super sentimental in these closing scenes. So she runs out of power and then he realizes he's running out of power and he kind of reaches towards her to touch hands as they power out. I mean, there's all these amazing themes of like, sacrifice and death and love and fear of the beyond in a movie with boy oing sound effects. Yes. That's what's so insane about this movie. And they, it's just like, I I wonder, kind of like you were saying, like, what did the filmmakers think the audience reaction would be to yeah. these scenes of these horrifying robots falling in love and then breaking down and dying in a very sentimentalized way? Like, I can't even imagine what they thought was going to happen. Yeah. We should also mention Michael Phillips is the producer of this movie. Michael Phillips, who, along with Julia Phillips, produced The Sting. Oh. Taxi Driver, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Biggest they were, movies of the 70s. They were like the biggest <laughs> producing team of the 70s. Uh, and then he went on to make Heartbeeps. They they hold hands. They run out of power. It's now several hours later because it's dark, and Randy Quaid and Kenneth McMillan come back to pick them up. Yes. They toss in, them into the truck. They're in different positions. I don't know if you <laughs> caught this. Yeah, right. <laughs> These robots who held hands are now in different positions. Script supervisor. Nobody gave enough shits about this no, movie. Who cares, right? Continuity. So what I love, though, is that so Randy Quaid and Kenneth McMillan, they find Val and Aqua and frozen in different positions than when they were frozen. They toss them in the truck. Phil is kind of hiding away in the woods. And Randy Quaid looks, but Phil is able to kind of move back in time and evade capture, which is ironic because literally the entire point of them venturing out with low battery power was to get Phil... To the factory to upgrade him because he can't be alone by himself. So then now that didn't happen, right? That didn't happen. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. That's the opposite of what happened. It's actually like, oh, thank God he didn't ev- he evaded capture and didn't go to the factory. I didn't even. The whole point, like, they knew they were going out with low battery power and the entire point was just to get Phil to the factory. And Phil is, evades capture. But uh, don't worry, okay, because let's flash forward now. We yeah. flash forward what is supposed to be, I'm assuming, a few months or so. There's Randy Quaid and Kenneth McMillan. There's and Babe. There's Babe, Ultra or Aldrin or whatever her name is. Kathleen Freeman. I can't, I didn't know You've her. seen her in a million things. She's in a million. Like, yeah, if you watch TV in the 70s, she, she was on every show. 
So they're in the factory, and she's kind of like, hey, whatever happened to those robots? Because this is the most interesting way to divulge this information, right? <laughs> so she's like, whatever happened to those robots? And Kathy Cullen's like, oh, you know, they tried. They brought them back. They scrubbed their memories. They tried to do it. They tried to send them out again, but they kept malfunctioning. They came back. We scrubbed their memories, sent them out again. They just kept malfunctioning. So we just decided to junk them. Now flash over to the junkyard where Susan and Calvin have put them all together. Now, remember, these are the people who could not charge their batteries earlier. <laughs> but all of their disassembled parts have landed in this one junkyard and only this junkyard where they reassembled them, upgraded them, unscrubbed their memories, and powered their batteries. Yes, yes. The one thing that they were unable to do before. And somehow Aqua's there, too. And Catskill. And a new girl. A and new a new baby girl. And a new baby that they created. So everything's all fine. It's just uh, the laziness of that. The laziness. I it, did not give was, enough of a shit about this movie by this point to even notice that. And I assume that they they didn't either. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? They didn't either. So that oh, is your film. No, that is not your film. Because guess who makes one last appearance in this movie? Is it Bernadette Peters' butt camel toe in the back of a robot <laughs> costume? No, it's not. It is Crime Buster. You know it, baby. Crime Buster's on the case. <laughs> So yeah, Crime Buster escapes and he's chasing after the robots because we're setting up the sequel, I guess. This was their, okay, we're going to have toy tie-ins. We're going to have McDonald's cups with Crime Buster all over them with this little homicidal toy. fascist robot. It just, I'm telling you, an AMC American Motors Dalek. That's what he looks like. Oh my God. Unfortunately, that's not the end of the film because that film's going to linger with me for a while. Yeah, yeah it's going to be hard to shake. Uh, one, another interesting bit of trivia. This is apropos of nothing. I don't even know what anything is anything, but apparently Jerry Garcia did the voice of Phil. What? Phil, the robot who just goes, boo, boo, boo. Jerry Garcia. Did yeah. That. Wow. I, what? <laughs> I, why? And why? I don't, it's just who, who cares? So that's your movie. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts, Quirky? Okay. Yeah. The 78 minutes thing. This was the one saving grace of this movie. It's, it's short. It is. Yeah. That was the only thing getting me through it was seeing the, okay, I only got 40 Just knowing left. that I you're like, okay, I'm halfway through left. this thing, yeah. But that makes me wonder, because uh-huh. I guess the studio execs whacked the shit out yeah. of this. What the hell was this movie before oh, that? I know, right? Because this movie's at 78 minutes, and it feels overlong. David Copperfield-esque It's just like four hours long. Or and you, there are hints all throughout that this movie's been whacked to shit. Because oh, yeah. There are people who are introduced and they reference scenes that you didn't see. And, and like you said, stuff. there's out of order things out that are in things. the movie that we can spot. But what the hell went on before that? No, I can't even and imagine it, what the the director's cut of this looks like. You know, and again, I'm I'm usually pretty loath to side with the heartless studio executives over the the artists. Yes, but in this case. You you did the, what you could, guys. <laughs> you did what you could. So, Corky, let's rate the film. As uh, let's go back over our rating system. Your interesting bad film, I guess we could say, is a dare. Your uninteresting bad film is a double dare, and then a reverse dare is a movie that you actually think is good. Corky, rate it. Uh, data senses processing. CompuBot says double dare. I'm just trying to entertain myself talking about double this movie dare. right now. It's a double dare. It's and the double dare floats around for me. Whether it's enthusiastic double uh-huh. dare, whether this is double dare, don't even look at different <laughs> scenes. Type in like crime buster party scene. Yeah, heartbeats. Don't do anything beyond that. Don't don't watch the actual film. R- Bernadette Peters, I give her credit because she worked that robot move. She's doing yeah. I mean, she's doing I, her best. I just right? like her too much. Absolutely. To, 
but fuck this yeah, movie. And I'm the biggest Andy Kaufman fan, and it's uh, this is just miserable. I am, however, I'm going to go with the dare. What? I think it's interesting enough. I think just the collision of tones is kind of fascinating to me. Wow. So as much as I can say, no, don't watch this movie, I can't recommend it. It's a bad movie. It's a very bad movie. I have to say, I'm, I'm semi-glad that I watched it. If you're a bad movie aficionado, I think you got to see this movie. But if you're, you just want to have a good time, fuck, God, no. <laughs> God, no. Also, Dan Scott. I don't want to say you're banned from dares. Da- <laughs> no, I won't say that. You can you can submit as many as you want. But I did. I wasn't intrigued by his rationale. He says I'm very intrigued by uh, successful or talented people getting right. together to make something crappy. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, that's yeah, I like that. That's interesting. I can now vociferously say I do not like that. No. I would much rather watch when bad people get together to make something really good <laughs> than good people get together to make something really bad. <laughs> All right, that's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back next week to review another one of your movie dares. In the meantime, check out our Thursday episode for a review of the next Dare Daniel review, as well as more talk about your dares and bad movies in general. An extra special thanks to Sac City Brews Neighborhood Tap House. Come check it out in Tahoe Park. Yeah, thank you for hosting us, uh, Sac City Brews. Until the next episode, compute your most sadistic <laughs> or altruistic movie dares to us at bleepbloppdaredaniel.bleepblop.com. And be sure to follow bleepblop does not compute dare daniel pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're not going to be super uh, judgy about that. We're going to. You can read more of my movie reviews in the Sacramento News and Review and at newsreview.com. And you can read my craft beer column in the Sacramento Bee and at sacbee.com. Robo Corky. Yes. Where can people compute more of your data? You can come check my data out at the Sacramento Comedy Spot. Fridays I hit data ass. Or catch me at any pool party with. Ding, uh, ding, 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 ding. Social robots or anybody proficient in lumber and its efficient byproducts. <laughs> For Robo Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Robot Barnes. Crime Buster. Our producer is Johnny Compu Flores. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Corky McDonald saying Data is efficient. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. I love you.